0: Dave Chang is an avid student and fan of sports, music, art, film, and of course, food. With a rotating cast of guests, they have conversations that cover everything from the creative process to his guests' guiltiest pleasures. Follow The Dave Chang Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. David,
1: a New York Post writer quit this week after saying she was ordered to write a story. Listener Tom Hayden wants to know, what story, if you were ordered to write it, would make you quit? Oh,
0: man. I mean, I don't want to open up too much of a window into my soul here. There's a lot of things that I would like to say I would quit. I, I would quit if ordered to write. But if something that's in, like, the real reasonable expectations of one of our jobs, if the ringer was acquired by somebody else or management change and they were just like, Brian, you have to write a... a you know, gushing profile of some major team owner who's going through terror, you know, who's being accused of something terrible. Yeah, that'd be bad. We're playing defense. Like, if it's in the normal sort of course of your job description, yeah, you'd spend a lot of time thinking about your mortgage, you know? I mean, but you'd be thinking about, like, your family before you said, before you walked out the door. It's, it's, that's really hard. I don't know. I, it does make me think, though, on a slightly lighter note, did I ever tell you the story about when, um, in the earliest days of The Ringer, uh, as a joke, Sam Shuby, the incredible editor, former editor of The Ringer, um, now at GQ, composed a fake ad read that I believe was a Russia Today ad read that was just like over the top <laughs> in praise of Vladimir Putin. And he just slipped it into Chris Ryan's ad reads when he was doing when he was doing reads for the like <laughs> reading ads for The Watch one time. Oh, my God. And Chris did everything blind, and he's so good at what he does that, like, he got about halfway through before he was just like, in the audio, it, I, the audio probably still exists. Until halfway through, he was just like, "Wait, what the hell is this?" <laughs> and every, <laughs> and just, we just brought it back and played it over and over again. The good thing, the good, I mean, the, the good spin on that is that Chris Ryan has an incredible moral stance on such things.
1: Absolutely, the pro-Putin ad was too much uh, for Chris Ryan.
0: <laughs> Coming up on today's show,
1: we answer your listener mail, including the question: Why did the New York Times? Change the name of its op eds. Plus, the Ringer's very own Danny Heifetz joins us to put together a devil's dictionary of NFL draft cliches. All that and more in the press box. A part of the Ringer podcast network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. David, it's Thursday, which means it's time to answer a little
0: listener mail.
1: We're going to work on the uh, the work on the interchange there. David, topic number one is Joe Rogan. He, of course, hosts a Spotify podcast. Here's what he had to say the other day about getting the coronavirus vaccine.
0: And people say, do you think it's safe to get vaccinated? I've said, yeah, I think for the most part, it's safe to get vaccinated. I do. I do. But if you're like 21 years old and you say to me, should I get vaccinated? I, I go, no.
1: What did you make, David, of Rogan and the vaccine.
0: I am um I think on the record on this show of for for well no I don't know if defending Joe Rogan is the right word but being I mean I'm a for a while listened pretty regularly to his show and and pretty you know definitively stopped listening to his show a long long time ago but I do think that just in general people in the media don't don't spend a lot of time trying to understand why he's so popular um, as opposed to just jumping in and saying, why is he so popular or, you know, what's wrong, you know, making it seem like it's some great pox on our country that people listen to him. I, I'm not, I'm going to set aside that the politics of it for one second. I do think that the real issue, th- th- this highlights something that's really important because you can make a, an, a intellectual, if, intellectually unserious case for having a guest on the show that says something like this right you're just listening to voices you're just opening it up but i think that the real problem that a lot of people have with joe rogan is that he's incredibly influential and a lot of people who listen to his podcast and that it kind of goes for anybody who publishes podcasts with that frequency and at that length and you take up that much of somebody's life and create that much of a subculture. But He's incredibly influential as a celebrity, as a human being in a way that not, I don't know that there anybody else is. I mean, there's no Hollywood celebrity whose advice you would take, except, I mean, it's like Gwyneth Paltrow and Joe Rogan, whose advice you would take on things that you would put in your body, right? And the real bright red flashing light line for Joe Rogan has to come at moments like this where he's saying, where he's, where he is, actively trying to influence people if the fear is that he's too influential to his audience he needs to be careful about actual instances of deliberate influence right you can't just toss off don't get vaccinated the same way you would toss off like you know uh a, a, an mma reference or something like that or a theory about how to win a you know whatever a theory a, th- a theory about ufos or something like that i mean it's it's a it's, it's just really reckless. I mean, I, I think that everybody knows it, but I do think that, that it's reckless, and I think that he probably knows it too. But I do think that that's, there's a kind of very blurry but, but important line there between sort of playing nice with c- conspiracy theories and disinformation and trying to sort of accidentally or deliberately push one yourself.
1: Well, it gets to the problem that the Biden administration is encountering. beginning to encounter, which is that we've gone through this period where we're trying to get everybody who wants to be vaccinated, vaccinated. And then you come up against a part of the population that does not want to be vaccinated. Vaccine is available, but they don't want to do it. And that number has bounced around a little bit more, a little bit. I saw a a Quinnipiac poll from this month that said it was 27% of Americans. I think it's been slightly lower in, in some of these other polls and the administration's like, so what do we do? You know, do we court religious leaders? Do Mm -hmm. we, you know, court pharmacists? Like these are people that people listen to, right? Locally. Do we do advertising? And one thing they really haven't done that's been really interesting is try to turn this into a political thing or stigmatize people, you know, like, oh, look at this, you know, this, uh, this matches up with certain political stances. The Biden administration has tried to stay way out of that. Because they're like, as soon as we start pointing fingers or doing things like that, this is a public health crisis. And we're just going to make people mad and make people dig in. I don't know. I mean, do you do you think the Biden administration or somebody should send an emissary to the Rogan show and say, we want somebody to talk to you about this issue? You can yeah, interview and ask them whatever do. you want.
0: Rodney, I mean, I, I I really, really do. Um, because I think of any. I mean, I think of nothing else even Joe Rogan would be susceptible to an argument from somebody like that. You know, if you make good sense, then, I mean, it's not just conspiracy peddling, right? It's not, and it's not, and listen, what he's saying is not completely devoid of some sort of like logical structure, right? I mean, you can say, you know, only, whatever, I mean, what are the numbers? I, like only 2020 somethings, whatever, died from, from the COVID virus, right? I mean, I, but you could also say, 2000 people died of the coronavirus you're telling to not get vaccinated right
1: also and, and also that those people could be vectors for other people of course
0: of, i mean and that's that's i mean and that's yes i mean so i don't know i mean the, i think a lot of times when people look at joe rogan and people like joe rogan and use phrases like you know blood on your hands and whatever it's just really specious but this is this is you know this is this is a real this is a real problem
1: from listener the epic uh, there's a request for us to talk about the New York post Kamala Harris story. Now, the Epic asks, is this as incredibly weird as it seems to me? So here's what happened. We, we mentioned this a little bit in the open. The New York post published a story saying that the Biden administration had bought copies of Kamala Harris's children's book, which is called superheroes are everywhere. And was giving the book to migrant children out here in California. So in other words, it was one of those, your tax dollars at work. Look, look, they're buying copies of the vice president's book and giving them to migrant children. You can see all the squares on the Fox News Republican Senator bingo card that are being checked here. This story was, of course, not true. Someone donated one, repeat one copy of Harris's children's book through a toy and book drive that benefited migrants. Taxpayers were not funding this in any particular, in any way. Well, the New York Post wrote a story about this. The author of the Post story is named Laura Italiano. And after the controversy blew up, she tweeted this. Today, I handed in my resignation to my editors at the New York Post. The Kamala Harris story, an incorrect story I was ordered to write, in which I failed to push back hard enough against, was my breaking point. It's been a privilege to cover the city of New York for its liveliest, wittiest tabloid, A paper filled with reporters and editors I admire deeply and hold as friends. I'm sad to leave. So what do you make, David? I think the bum story, I think, kind of speaks for itself. It's not surprising. What do you make of the resignation after you've written that story and the way that was handled here?
0: I mean, there's still a lot of questions. And I don't inherently fault somebody for not realizing the gravity of their decision in the moment as opposed to later i mean if she had said no presumably someone else would have written it right i mean they would have fudged a byline or something else but there's a lot of i guess questions about the you know the the process although it's all going to be you know bullshit one way or the other um you know, was she basically just a stenographer for like a you know turn this crazy email into a story or something? Or you know, is this something that she was very aware that she was falsifying at the time? I, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of questions, but um, yeah, I mean, it's this is a this is a really weird space the New York Times. I mean, sorry, the New York Post seems to be occupying with more frequency that sort of pushing the boundaries of well. Ta- at least American tabloids, right? I mean, usually their their standards would be higher than something like this. And and uh mm, maybe. Well, what do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm old enough to re- to remember stories that were in this zone. It is interesting that they have a new editor who is his name is Keith Poole, 44 year old Englishman, according to the New York Times, yeah. who remade the Sun's website in recent years. And I don't know. I just feel like there's been an uptick in. New York Post tweets being passed around, especially like stuff, a couple that involved the COVID vaccine, like there were scary tweets about the COVID vaccine that were not what the tweet, the story was not what the tweet made them out to be. So I don't know if this is a vein or not. It's not beyond that paper to do something like this, but um, it did. I, I noticed boost sales of Kamala Harris's superheroes are everywhere. Now, number one, David, on Amazon in children's political biographies, beating out that series of books that are like Who Was Alexander Hamilton
0: <laughs> yeah. and
1: Who Was Jesus? I don't know if your kids have any of those. Mine do. Um, so anyway, I guess this is one of those stories that probably brought more attention to Harris's superheroes are everywhere than it would have gotten otherwise. David, we have lost a term of art in the newspaper world. At least is it. Or at least as it relates to the New York Times this week, op-ed. Since 1970, wow. the New York Times has used the word op-ed, which is newspaper jargon, meaning the opposite of the editorial page, like literally the, uh, the page that faces your editorial page. Mm-hmm. So you have your editorial page with your staff editorials, and you have op-ed with editorials where you often print stories from outsiders. The Times will now call op-eds written by outsiders guest essays. Guest essays now, what do you make of that particular change in terminology?
0: Well, I understand the desire to be more clear and specific than op ed I mean, I think that you know yes, so op ed means opposite the editorial page, and I think a lot of people know that, but I also think that there's a sort of like blurring of the lines between those two spaces right I mean you you'd be forgiven to for thinking that it's one and the same um because it is all sort of broadly the opinion section of the paper. You know, you and I have talked on the show about a number of what now I guess would be guest essays that people deem to be really problematic. A lot of times they were. And I think that one of the biggest issues, obviously, is the sort of sense that The Times is putting their stamp of approval on whatever they publish under that rubric. Guest essay feels very much like an attempt to kind of wash their hands of it right as opposed to really trying to solve the problem it feels the terminology feels a little bit like the old like early internet doesn't it feel like a guest essay is something that would be published on like early huffington post or something (laughs) it doesn't feel like it quite has the gravity of what the new york times really lends to you know these guest voices Uh, i'm not sure
1: and i do i think you're right though i think that they're trying to keep it at arm's length And, and I guess the problem here and this came up a little bit in the discussion around this is that so many people are reading articles online and you're just reading things completely out of context. And when you stop reading something on a piece of paper, a lot of this stuff starts to just not make sense in the way it used to. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I really don't think anybody knows what op-ed means. I think they, a lot of people might know, know it means editorial. I don't think they know what kind of editorial it means at all. Um, but if you don't have a paper copy of the New York Times and you're like open to a particular page, which is buried at the back of the front se- back of the A section and see, oh, here are two pages of editorials mixed in with all this uneditorial hard news. And that is the when you're reading online and that is the one story you get, I do think it gives you a really weird idea of what's in the paper. And what and what what kind of values the paper is placing on certain things, right? A Tom Cotton op-ed or guest essay is very very different than the Maggie Haberman a front page a story about Donald Trump. It's just completely different.
0: Yeah, especially and at a time when those I mean it's just every week there's some other flare up about you know political bias and newspapers and you know and the New York Times in particular about you know and and a lot of it is a lot of the most sort of ingrained stories are false or based in some sort of false premise of the New York Times wrote this thing. New York Times, you know, Mm -hmm. believes this thing and it's not true. You know, it's, it's in the old way of thinking, it's not true. Now it's, you know, I I can understand their desire to be clearer. I'm not sure that I don't really love the, 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 the term, (laughs) the new term of art. And I don't, um, I'm not sure that it's, going to be particularly helpful in the overall no. mission there you know, in solving that problem, but I understand it.
1: This is from Small Town Teach. Do you ever skip over an article or a podcast because you already know what the author's take is going to be? You might not disagree with them, but you don't want to go through the mental exercise of experiencing their obvious point of view.
0: <sighs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, there's definitely some people that you listen to for some topics and not for others. Are you going to draw that line? I think at some point if I'm just like, so-and-so is going to talk about whatever again, and I just can't bear to listen to it, that might be time to unsubscribe. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I can't think, I'm sure there's an example that proves me wrong.
1: I worry about this with us all the time because whenever we're like, you know, texting and be like, hey, did you see the thing Tucker Carlson did? that we are just you know, having another segment that says Tucker Carlson did something yeah, and that people know how that's going to go and they're going to get bored of us. So I worry about that with us all the time. On the other hand, when I'm listening to podcasts, when I'm just a listener rather than a host of one, I think I kind of like it when people play the hits. Mm-hmm. When I see something show up in my feed and I kind of know how that's going to go. And again, I'm not against surprise and people surprising me by going completely in a different direction, but There is to all media a comfort food aspect and kind of knowing, you know, when, when an event happens and you kind of know how the host is going to come down. I don't know. I don't know. I like that too. So I don't think I would, I don't think I'd, I think I'd be more concerned whether they're talented or not.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely a, uh, yeah, because I mean I can think of things that are repetitive and that I disagree with that doesn't make me not listen. So in that sense, you're totally right. There's a certain freedom that podcasting has that you know straight journalism doesn't, which is like unless you're a old style o- like old fashioned local columnist, just like you know hair brand thoughts by Brian Curtis, and even if you're that person, you don't really get to go over the same ground over and over again, right? You don't get to repeat yourself, and that's one thing that I think a lot of people. I mean, a lot of journalists stress over, right? They got to get it 100% right. I mean, not I'm just talking about facts, but they got to do the best job they can possibly do because they're not going to get another crack at it. And podcasts allow you to have as many cracks on a subject as you want. You know, you get to evolve. It's like blogging with your voice. And it's, a, uh, you know, I, well, anyway.
1: So newspapers took out the term op-ed, but they left in the column title Hairbrained Ideas by Brian <laughs> Curtis. Is that what you're saying here?
0: Yes. It's your perspective on hairstyles and other things.
1: (laughs) Hairbrained ideas. I like it. This is from Adam Bisson. David, do you subscribe to the New Yorker and have you ever finished an issue in one week? What is the preferred method for stacking back issues?
0: It's fantastic. I do not subscribe right now Uh, for hard copy issues. I guess I might have it. password or two i can use if need be but i but generally I, um, <laughs> so
1: that's a no that's i might a, have a password i can use
0: no uh but i have subscribed for i'd say the majority of my adult life and um yet back in the day i used to i think i used to finish issues i mean i did use to finish issues the big the, i mean the, the game changer on that front is the subway and it was the subway in the pre- was not wasn't the pre iPhone era. It was partly in the pre iPhone era, but the pre like you can just watch a TV show on your phone mm-hmm. era, and um, you know, reading the New Yorker on the on the subway was a thing that people did. People you know had listen. It's it's a lost art. The the bigger lost art is people that the art of reading a full newspaper on the subway, but but having that weird sort of origami that you only. That it doesn't oh. get in anybody's way.
1: That was incredible. That was an like, amazing. What a great talent.
0: old fashioned thing.
1: Yeah, remember when the New Yorker just kind of hijacked the news cycle on Mondays when it came out? And again, I don't think I don't think anything changed with the New Yorker. I think anything everything changed with the rest of us. But there was that there was that thing when you like in Monday in media the New Yorker would come out. It didn't even have to be like a Jane Mayer thing. Or, you know, a, you know, like a huge or a David Remnick, you know, giant reported piece. It could kind of be like an Anthony Lane movie review that was just particularly funny. And I feel that would have some, that would, that would get some run in your office. Somebody would mention it, maybe send it to you, whatever it is. That is really hard to do now. It really has to be almost the Jane Mayer piece for it to just break into the consciousness. In the same way. Yeah, it's it's totally again, And I'm sure all those pieces are still really good. When I get a chance to read it, it is always really, really well written. It just does not play in exactly the same way. All right, David, let's do the Overworld Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the Press Box pod, where they are always gratefully received. And they didn't get off that easy news. Yesterday, federal investigators went to Rudy Giuliani's apartment They also went to his office and David, they took his phone and his computers. It was an overworked Twitter joke for political journalists to write. I guess Rudy won't be butt dialing me anymore. (laughs) Also, did you see his son, Andrew Giuliani speaking in defense of his dad with very deliberate hand gestures like just going out there? And it was it was it was was almost
0: totally missed this.
1: Oh, my God. It was an overword Twitter joke to write, just to clarify, Andrew Giuliani is not a Will Ferrell character. (laughs) Thanks to dad to the people. Just watch the clip. You will understand. Finally, David, during Joe Biden's address to a joint session of Congress last night, Texas Senator Ted Cruz appeared to be asleep. It was really amazing because he had his eyes closed and he was wearing a mask that said, come and take it. (laughs) Kind of a weird combination to be, you know. Come and take it. Uh, but but after I get up from this nap, unclear if he was actually asleep or just closing his eyes. Some really good jokes. Ted Cruz is sleeping on the job. Ted Cruz is dreaming of Cancun. And <laughs> apparently one senator had it on. Wait for it. Cruz control. Thanks to John Spalding, Dodgers repeat 2021 and Brian Judd. If you offered up the kind of dad humor Ted Cruz appreciates, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, in the notebook dump, David, tonight is the start of the three-day-long NFL draft. And anybody who has listened to five minutes of a draft podcast knows that we all cover the draft using a particular language.
0: Are you familiar with the concept of upside? Mm. Maybe tremendous upside? (laughs) Maybe uh, generational upside? Um, Welcome to the crazy world of draft linguistics. Now, we're going to focus on the NFL draft year. We're going to talk about all the words that take on a certain special meaning, a certain salience at draft time. It was over a century ago, in 1906, when Ambrose Bierce first published a book called The Cynic's Word Book, aka The Devil's Dictionary. We're doing our own little devil's dictionary here on the press box, taking on one of the weird offshoots of conventional, the conventional English language, draftology. And
1: here to help us with that is a man who writes for The Ringer, who podcasts for The Ringer. You can hear him talking draft, perhaps using some of these terms right now on the Ringer NFL Big Board Show. It's Danny Heifetz. Danny, welcome to the Press Box. Thank you for having me. I would never use any of these terms. I couldn't be caught dead. There's no way <laughs> I've ever said any of
2: these
0: things. Part of what makes this exercise... <laughs> So wonderful is that none of us are blame free in this. Like you, especially <laughs> if you do it a lot, you're just you get absorbed into this bizarre l- l- culture of, of lingo. Everything that Mel Kuyper says become like like Mel Kuyper would be unintelligible to someone who didn't know what the football <laughs> was. We didn't know the it's NFL true. draft. But we all just sort of settle into this weird thing where like even you know, people on tw- Twitter eggs are speaking in what would be gibberish in any other time of the year.
2: No, you, you're just marinating in these cliches. So it's impossible to not have them kind of like just you, they shoot out of you sometimes. There's nothing <laughs> you can do. But, you know, you you, just, you, you always got to fight back, you know, your worst impulses. But that's why this is a very cathartic exercise. This is kind of like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm purging these cliches out of me right now. I
1: laugh when David used the word salience <laughs> in the intro there. <laughs> We will not hear Mel Kuyper or Daniel Jeremiah use the word salience at any point tonight. <laughs> not a not a draft cliche. All right. We thought we'd do this draft style. We're going to take turns and each select a particular NFL draft cliche or figure of speech. Danny, you've got the first pick. This is so. Wow. So, or as, I, as someone say, I'm on the clock. Hmm.
2: Perhaps. So. This is a very big deal. I got, you know they, as they say, the 101. So with the first pick of the draft cliche draft, Team Heifetz selects, watch the film, watch the <laughs> tape. Because as someone who was born a little later in time than you two, uh, when was the last time these guys watched film or watched tape? They're streaming it all, but you don't sound very authoritative if you're like, well, go ahead, stream the games, dude. Like, I guess that doesn't make you sound like you've been doing it for a long time. But I, every time Mel Kuyper's like, you see this guy on film. I'm like, really, Mel? Do you watch film anymore? I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, Mel it, just has get rid pr- of this phrase, a projector forever.
1: going there in Baltimore, flickering in the background <laughs> as he watches an Alabama exactly. game.
2: <laughs> it's ridiculous.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's it- it, it, I like because it's it's not just the idea of watching tape, right? We're we're specifically talking about the command to watch the film, to watch the tape, right? <laughs> yes. Like, like yes. if you don't believe me, watch the film. Yeah. It's like, I mean, did you watch the tape? Do you even watch the games, dude? Yeah, exactly. It's a do you lift, bro, of NFL drafts, uh, you know, of <laughs> do drafts- you lift. be because yes, that is and- it. And it's crazy because the job of everyone who's using this language should be to instruct us, right? But, but instead, it's to go do your own homework or before it's, it's a gatekeeping. <laughs> totally.
2: It's it's also like the break glass in case of emergency, in case they disagree, in case you disagree with them or like, well, just, you know, it's, it's kind of like a parachute for, you know, any criticism.
1: We would also accept it grinding tape, right? Grinding, oh,
2: yeah, grinding tape. Because yeah. it does. You're does right. Does that come
1: under my umbrella? Do I get that one too? Totally. <laughs> totally. Because it really is this boast in the draft community. Hey, look, I watch tape. I'm not just looking at other people's boards and shuffling around. I watch tape myself. All right. Very good start. <laughs> I-, I like where you went there. That was a value pick, you might say, uh, Danny yeah. <laughs> It's a huge value. I mean, it was. it's the it's the Trevor Lawrence of this draft. It's a generational phrase. The Generational. Exactly. All right. Second pick, David Shoemaker, you are at the podium.
0: Well, I was, I mean, generational is now crossed off my list because it would just use conversationally. I, I don't, <laughs> it, that wasn't going to be my first pick. But now I'm just going to make it my first pick. Generational talent. Generational talent. Here, this is what I don't understand about generational talent. Everybody agrees that Kyle Pitts is a generational talent. But the idea of trading more than one pick to get Kyle Pitts, you turn your nose up on it. If he's generational talent, <laughs> trade your whole draft slate for him. <laughs> If this is the greatest tight end that we will see for the next ten years, like like send out every player on your roster, do whatever it takes. generational <laughs> that part of this whole process is dumbing it is lowering the ceiling of words and raising the ceiling of words, right? Yeah. so yeah. the generational becomes almost meaningless. Generational is like annual. generation is like, oh, he got all A's, you know, it, it, it's opposed to like valedictorian or something. And yet, we say things like we we put the greatest importance in, and I'm going to skip ahead here in phrases like, "Well, no, I'm going to save it for next time." But this is when we lower the ceiling so much that it's even. What's the point of even saying it?
1: Totally. And like, how many all-pro teams or Pro Bowls does Kyle Pitts have to be to be generational? Like to to actually well, live up to that term? Does he just have to be really good? No. Or does he, he, he have to, to be, be in the Super Best? Bowl
0: every? He has to be in the Super Bowl every year and miss the Pro Bowl he I, has he to had, be. Had, <laughs>
1: he has to be a top three tight end
2: by the end of his second season, basically, because if you look at all the other tight ends that are really good, Gronk was like, you know, mid round pick third or fourth rounder. Kelsey's like a, like a fourth rounder or something. Darren Waller's a mid rounder. Like none of the tight, Greg Olson, uh, I think is the only guy who's like a first, I mean, Greg Olson and Vernon Davis are the only tight ends who were really great, who were even first round picks. And they were late first rounders. Kyle Pitts, if he goes fourth, but to your point, David, what's so funny about it is it's like, Kyle Pitts is generational, but the term is so watered down because I mean, I think four or five running backs have been called a generational talent in the last eight years. Gurley was generational. <laughs> Saquon was generational. Leonard Fournette, Zeke, were both. You know what I mean? Like McCaffrey. You just hear it over and over
1: and over again. You get completely, uh,
2: I was gonna immune or lobotomized to it. I don't even
1: know. Yeah, generations usually last longer than two years. So just, just. <laughs> well, you, are we technically the same generation? Yeah, I, I, I mean. Yeah, I'm sure well, David and I would love that to be true. I'm I'm not sure it is, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. I've got the third pick here. I am also going with it with a a term that that David is nodding at that has just been a completely weird term. It's not, it's not really raising the ceiling or lowering the floor. It's more just the unnecessary adornment NFL draft term. And that is QB one. <laughs> yeah. Or wide yeah. receiver one. Now, I'm old enough to remember where you would just say Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in the draft, or Jalen Waddell is the best wide receiver in the draft. But now, if you want to look really cool and kind of sound like a scout when you're doing all this, you say, hey, Jalen Waddle, he's my wide receiver one. Absolute my wide, wide, my wide receiver one. Danny, why, why did this happen? Why, how did we possibly get here, linguistically speaking? Two
2: things, fantasy football and Twitter. So fantasy football, it's you have actual rankings for every position. And then obviously, you know, your RB1 this year is Christian McCaffrey. And then so much of fantasy football analysis done on Twitter that it just you can fit more players into a single tweet if you're minimizing it. Like, I don't know how many characters what you just said is, but QB1 is three things. So it works. The other reason is that the other problem with this phrasing and me and Danny Kelly, like Really, one of our strongest arguments we have, he's the nicest guy in the world. The only time he raises his voice at me is there's also a QB1 or the QB1, (laughs) which is his whole other subsect, because at least in fantasy, a wide wide receiver one could be the number one receiver for any of the 32 teams, so basically a top 32 player, or the wide receiver one, which is the number one wide receiver in football. And so when you use them in passing, it's actually pretty massive difference to the to the listener, to the reader, whatever you're saying, because it's like is this a top one guy or a top 30 guy.
0: It's like in draft. It, when we talk about players in the draft in, in, in when you in the NBA draft, a number one pick is the first player in the draft in the NFL yes. draft. A number one pick is anyone in the first round of the draft. Right. Because the draft is so much <laughs> yeah, bigger. Basically. So it's yeah, uh, or it's, the. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So now we're in day two as it were here, we're going back around Danny, your first pick in the second round of the NFL draft cliche draft. Now I, I got to do, it's pound the table, <laughs>
2: oh I will pound the table for this player. I will pound the table for this phrase. You know, there was a lot of debate and consternation in the, uh, the team Heifetz draft room. Some people wanted some other phrases in our board and I pounded the table for pound the table.
1: It's so good. It has become so ubiquitous. <laughs> It's ridiculous. I watched, first of all, last year was on Zoom. What table were you pounding? And is this because we know more about what happens in draft rooms now? <laughs> like it's the inevitable story the day after. Like, uh, you know, there was some uncertainty, right? Like the scouts and the 49ers wanted Trey Lance, but Kyle Shanahan was pounding the table for Mac Jones. Yeah. Is that is it to help us understand this process? What is it? Well, it's it's dramatized, right?
2: Like, I'm sure at some point, like, you're just, like, arguing. You're, like, hitting the table, and you're like, damn it, we're taking this player. But in reality, there's a camera in every single room of these draft rooms. Have you ever once seen B-roll of someone pounding a table? Because I never have. <laughs> I, as far as I know, it hasn't happened in decades.
0: The drama is what's key, because it's, there's nothing exciting about a dry erase board, right? Well, unless one gets caught on, <laughs> unless one gets caught on film that shouldn't be caught on film, and then somebody's draft board leaks out. But, there's nothing exciting about that. Right? Magic. There's certainly there, there's something mildly exciting about the owner of a team walking in two minutes before the pick and dictating who you're going to take. But that's not the normal course of things. We all can imagine it's really just this sort of fantasy land, right? We all would like <laughs> to imagine that if we were there, we would have the courage of our convictions to pound on a table. But in reality, in reality, how many times is anybody in their job going to do something that could get them fired for looking like a jerk? Or for just being utterly wrong, and that you know, w- when they could just go with the flow. Maybe people are panning on the tables, or at least metaphorically all the time. I kind of doubt it happens a lot.
1: Yeah, this this reminds me of like negotiating with your editor about whether you can write a piece or not. You know, there might be times when <laughs> there's some little passive aggressive email goes back and forth. You're not like just pulling out a knife or something. But like, no, no, <laughs> you're gonna let me write that story. <laughs> you're, you're, no need to over dramatize.
0: All right, David. Megan mm. Schuster, you will let me write about battle bots <laughs> pounding the table. David Shoemaker, you've got the next pick. I said it before that you know the last one just lowered the ceiling on this on a term that that should really be meaningful. Now I'm going to raise the floor, or actually, no, raise the ceiling on something that shouldn't have any meaning at all. The phrase is football player, or more specifically. <laughs> He's a football player. What in the world is this? Like, I know what it meant. <laughs> uh, so good. How do you look, How do you, if there's two players and you're like, they're both good, but he's a football player, Danny, Brian, either one of you answer this. How, how what, what, what is the one who's a football player have over the other guy? Is. <laughs>
2: i guess it's like what's the the thing like that uh, cognitive error like you know true scotsman or whatever and it's kind of like well there's football players and then there's football players like it's it's all about the tone you know what i mean if you were going to write this out it's you know it has to be in italics or something it's, it's, it depends as much as the emotion you're saying it on your face as it does as you know anything else
1: it is so good and i really can't say that term without imitating john gruden well, I'm saying a football
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. player. Yeah. I think it might be a Grudenism, or at least was popularized by Gruden during his like doing his quarterback breakdowns. But that's I think that's part of what's interesting about this, and sort of all these things, is that so many of them come from the draft room or come from the, you know, the scouting world or like whatever. And those sort of subcultures necessarily deal in a lot of gibberish. But people on the outside, and that includes people that we work with and ourselves and everybody else but you like to say words that you pick up from the subculture to sound a little bit more clued in a little bit more plugged in and they do have a little bit of extra layer of meaning when you when employed correctly right um football player though is just a great one because it really is all about the voice saying it it's not it's it's i I mean it's sort of just like a verbal slap on the back isn't it
1: yes And
0: your point about
1: wanting to sound like the subculture is totally right on. Because, you know, it's like a couple of years ago, all TV writers saying, hey, did you notice the B plot in that episode of Game of Thrones? Like Mm -hmm. that—that that is just how TV writers, people who write the TV shows talk. But now when we do a podcast or something, we have to use that term because we sound really savvy. I think football player and stuff like that crept in and it makes us sound like savvy consumers. I've got another one for you. This is a little bit of a weird one but I hear it from time to time dance partner. Okay. (laughs) And usually you hear it like this. It's one thing to say you want to trade down in the draft, but you need a dance partner. (laughs) Now this is what's always funny to me because when do we use the term dance partner in human life other than in the NFL draft, (laughs) either literally or metaphorically speaking, I'm not even sure I hear that when you're dancing. No, (laughs) You don't you don't go up so much. You want to be my dance partner. I mean, it's this is, fantastic. this is not like this is not like a you know a, the USO at World during World War II or something.
0: <laughs> no, so what? It, I mean, you can't just say you got to find another team that's willing to do this trade with you. I guess it means you got to find somebody who's like totally in lockstep because lining up trades in the NFL is so precarious. It's like, well, I'm not even gonna say what it's like something because I'm gonna end up in using another phrase but you're right draft part i mean dance partner is is just a beautiful a beautiful turn of phrase
1: i think it's a reaction to draft savviness too because a few years ago everyone learned that you're supposed to trade down in the nfl draft instead of trading up
0: Mm -hmm. so everyone started
1: going (laughs) gotta trade down gotta trade down and then the kind of reaction to savvy take number one was well gonna trade down gotta find a dance partner
2: all right the clock
1: you are on the clock next pick i kind of want to trade down
2: How savvy of you. But I guess if I'm gonna trade down, I need Uh, uh. someone to trade with. Uh okay. Then (laughs) another one I love is you know, they're gonna trade, you know, or they're gonna draft a player. And so what would you do when you um draft a player? You can't just draft a player, you want to talk to them, right? You're gonna conversate with them. Only in the NFL draft is that called. Visited with where did this term come from? It's just you know they visited with Devonte Smith. Would you ever say that in any other context? You're going to hear that a hundred times on Thursday night the whole weekend I visit they visited with the giants i, I it's just i don't know it's just a strange
0: brian you can you can help adjudicate this, but visited with just hearing every time I hear it, it sounds like a it sounds like it's coming out of the mouth of a Southern grandfather. Like, it's a, it's a, (laughs) it sounds like something that my maternal grandfather, who is a, you know, small town preacher, would have said about going to visit one of his parishioners or visit some, see somebody at the hospital or, like, even talking about, like, someone well, I'm going to use another colloquialism, but someone like if you you're like courting your soon-to-be wife. Oh, I visited with her today, or something. It's like it's a <laughs> it's a very simple phrase that even but but for years has been loaded. You know, has been sort of fraught with all sort of other implications.
1: Absolutely, and that is why the only NFL owner I can actually imagine using it is Jerry Jones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Sertane called us on the Zoom, and we got to visit him the other day. I I could totally see Jerry Jones using that. I cannot see Duke Tobin, uh, using that phrase or any of these other like GMs that are like 25 years old. Nobody's <laughs> it. And you're right. It is. It's a Southern thing. It's like my mom was sick and somebody from Sunday school came over and visited with her. that. That's, that is ha- absolutely how that term is used. And so bizarre that this should be in the NFL draft circuit 2021. All right, David, you're on the clock. Your next pick.
0: Oh man, I have, this is really tough. um, um, I'm 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 ch- my draft board is all over the place right now. I'm gonna go. Oh man, I'm gonna go with one that I, d- I just have to say is a Danny Kellyism or one that our good friend Danny Kelly has been using a lot this season.
2: So he's busy. He probably won't hear this. He's got a lot going on.
0: And I'm not even I don't even hate it, but this but this, but it's sort of it's sort of emblematic of the way that some words catch fire in a certain year. Field tilter. Do you want to explain to me what a field does, tilter a is, <laughs> Dan- Danny Heifetz, Can you I can use explain that what a field too. tilter
2: is? <laughs> I use field tilter. Field tilter is just they draw a lot of attention from the defense. Like you just, it, if you, I wanted to be really hidey-tidy about it, I could say that those players have gravity, and so they do tilt defenders toward them. It, you know, but no, it's it's a ridiculous term. I have not heard
1: that one until recently. Field tilter. When it's we, new.
2: It's it's a response to. It's a response to players with an insane amount of speed. It's a response to Tyree Kill. It's the same way that like NBA has gravity and that Steph Curry can shoot from like really far away. So you have to draw defenders closer to them. Really fast players, quote unquote, tilt the field because defenders have to be closer to them. So it's almost like the field looks different. And so Jalen Waddell, when he's drafted, you will heal you will hear the word field tilter.
1: So when David and I were growing up that would, we would have just said track speed. Sign- and that's gone now. It's kind of an archaic term like that. Field tilt. It feels gone. That is really weird. All right. I think I'm on the clock. Do it. One of my all-time faves, plug and play starter. (laughs) He is a plug and play starter. Now, for a while, we had walk-in starter. And I think before that, we had immediate starter.
0: Yeah. But I've never
1: heard walk-in starter. You never heard walk-in starter? That's a walk-in starter at left tackle? Oh, that's that's plug and play. Is, <laughs> that's that's
2: I'm the plug and play generation. I'm the oh. generational talent of the plug and play era. Okay, plug and play. So how do we get how do we get from walk in to plug and play? What is plug and play? Is that like a tech reference from like 25 years? Ago? I don't know that, what plug and play really means. But that's the thing. It. it feels
1: kind of <laughs> archaic, right? But you hear it on draft talk all the time. It's <laughs> a good point. I don't want you to know what you're
2: plugging and what you're playing. Is that like yeah, ch- I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't- it's definitely like it's definitely. I'm trying to think, Dave. What what generation of technology is plug and play from?
0: Uh, that I feel like that's relatively modern, right? Is it not? Is it? ECR? Is it? Is it <laughs> oh, I have no idea. All right, all right. I no, have no idea. No more I mean, than smack talk
1: hyphens. Yeah, we're, we're not that old.
0: Well, I mean, it, it's a, it's a great thing because it it shows how. When we, we we've heard we hear draft analysis on podcasts on the radio on TV all the time, and the dra- I mean obviously the market for this stuff right now is just unbelievably crazy. But there's the simultaneous like it like overabundance of information that you have to share in a given slot of time. Right, you could possibly talk about fifteen picks in a thirty second hit, like whatever. But there's also still the drive to eat up space right to like go yes. to go longer with each sentence that's why you say things like plug and play starter instead of he can start right <laughs> like he, he he'll will start, start right away team. yeah
1: <laughs> he's a good player and he's gonna start in game one right it's too concise oh, oh day one where's starter. the poetry by the way day one starter also day in this one group starter. somewhere probably probably sort of old school now but uh, there you go all right let's do one no, more day round one starters big heifetz your final pick Of the 2021 NFL cliche draft. Wow.
2: Okay, so I got a lot of guys. I'll be calling a lot of... I'm going to be working the phones for some undrafted (laughs) free agent phrases if this is the last pick. But Mm. I think that if there's only one phrase I can still add, it has to be the kid from... As in, (laughs) when you can't remember someone's name, it's the kid from Ohio State. You know, the kid from UConn.
1: So good. So good.
0: That's not even like scouting ease. That's like, no, that's everyone. No, that's like, that's like movie coach from 1945 ease. Right. I mean, that, that's like some like coach with a, with a piece of straw in his mouth. He's just like, what about the What about the kid from Kansas city? Is he available to play? And
1: <laughs> Hey kid, stick with me and you can play in the NFL. I'll tell you what always amuses me about kid is that, draft analysts and recruiting reporters in college start using it when they're 25 years old i'm like no no
0: <laughs> when the reporter is 25 years old yeah yes. i'm like you know
1: like that guy is like four years younger than you you're not allowed to call him a kid right it's like remember, remember when people start doing that in high school you start yeah. calling like somebody's a freshman Oh, he's a great kid you know it's like he he uh, he is he is one of us this is not this is not this could not be one of our offspring right i think that's (laughs) how you'd have to you have to at least got go intergenerational go back to generational talent to be called a kid yeah i love
0: (laughs) it absolutely love it all right shoemaker your final pick can i just make a group selection here please and i i really hate to lead us down this path into awkward uncomfortable territory but I wish want to make a group selection for all of the terms that are only used or almost only used for white players in the draft. Uh, <laughs> t- I want to make a, make make a, a blanket pick for um, uh, blue collar, uh, uh, first one in, last one out, uh, lunch scrappy. tail, hard hat, scrappy, gritty. Um, uh, 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 well, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that there's a, there's a million more on the on the list, but um, this sort of like. Well, I mean, is, there's also a sneak the sneaky athletic aspect to the whole thing, right? Sneak, we have yeah, to, sneaky, sneaky, sneaky ha- for the white. Yeah. We have to we have to explain why we like somebody that we that that the measurables don't say we should like. Measurables is another good fast. one too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's there's no one on this podcast, by the way, that is even sneaky fast.
0: <laughs> is no, <laughs> what? what 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 is What is the appeal of a of a blue collar worker in the NFL? I guess you just do your job and you don't you don't make too much of a a, a stink. Is that is that the idea? Oh, blue collar
2: workers because you know you, you just put your hard hat on, you put
1: your teal belt on, you go to work. Yeah, first one off the bus. I mean, come mm-hmm. on, absolutely. Who wouldn't want those <laughs> kind of players? All right, uh, I've got the final. I've got the final selection. The Mister Irrelevant, if you were, if you will. <laughs> of draft cliches. And and this one's a little, it's this one's a little small, but as the leading pendant of sports media, I I'm going to go there. It is the weird practice of saying not the draft, but this draft. (laughs) If you want to move up in this draft, the best wide receiver in this draft, the real value, David, in this draft, we're not talking about the draft from 1995 here. We are all talking about the draft that happens today, but we always have to make sure we specify it's this draft, this draft. How, how did we get there, either one of you?
2: I like this one. I use it. I will defend it. It sounds more pressing, more urgent. You have to tune in. I like it.
0: This sounds like a like. I mean, always always falling back on my wrestling fan background. This sounds like a top note from Vince McMahon, right? It's just like you have. <laughs> there's certain things you have to say. To just really goose (laughs) the 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 audience, you know, into thinking like this is like there's something more slightly. If you got to turn up the volume knob just a tiny bit, any chance Mm -hmm. you get, right? And this draft lets you put that little emphasis on the you know right before the draft, and it really just like yeah, like focuses in your like it it helps it helps with like the cadence of the sentence too, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's a Kuiperism. I think that's where I first heard it. He would always say, "This draft," you know, and you're kind of like shaking because he's so excited, right? This draft. Uh, I mentioned this on Twitter the other day. Mina Kimes came back and said she had not only caught herself doing this, but caught herself saying the 2021 NFL draft when she's talking about it. Well, again,
0: okay, just to specify, that's a little bit that's slightly different in so much as you can like to be more. Just the, the the being more expansive, right? Saying the the longer name for things should not be unusual in a sports league that we regularly refer to on ESPN as the National Football League when we're trying to make a point, right?
1: <laughs> no, it's true. It's more of a Goodellism though than a Kuiperism. Yeah. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft, <laughs> right? He has to say that every time, just in case we think we've gone through a Philip Dick time shift tonight, you know, and whoa, whoa, are we still in 2021? No, but
2: that's- no, that makes sense cuz then they play the clip of I Adele know, doing the I draft know. 8 years later and you're like, "Oh yeah, right. This is the 97 draft." Like, you know, it's you need that part.
0: It's for posterity. Maybe we all hope that whatever we do, whatever we say, someday will be will be played again because we were so right. That's why you got to put on that's why if you tag on the 2021 draft. This by the way is the 20 the end of the 2021 NFL draft, Devil's Dictionary on the press box. Uh, we, we should have said that year a whole lot, many, many more times. Yeah, I screwed just to, up. Yeah. I, <laughs> I,
2: I said the first pick. I didn't even say the year.
1: How are people going to know what, what year I picked the, the, the phrase? Yeah, I don't think we're going to get on the ringer clip show at the end of the year with this one. But we'll do our best. Can I read you like some of the phrases that didn't make it? Oh, please. These are the oh, undrafted yes.
0: phrases. This is the note. The undrafted phrases.
1: <laughs> the UDFA, um, so, I mean, if heist, you will. Ceiling yeah.
2: and floor. But I got off platform, which is mm. now just a thing. So good. Uh, i mean, be steal of the draft. Uh, yeah, big frame. More get to the future, and then my favorite is Foxhole guy.
0: Oh yeah, Foxhole guy is great.
1: Yeah, um, I think the blue collar like, worker and the Foxhole guy are pretty close on the Venn diagram. <laughs>
0: the cousins. Um, the, I I have a lot in the raise the ceiling category. Um, uh, he makes all the throws, or he makes all the catches. You know, which is a great <laughs> one. He always shows up on film. I mean, these are just like statements of fact. I guess that you can just like say in a certain way. Um, he shows up. On film. The, the, <laughs> yeah, he's not there. It's, it's the I wrong film if he's not there. I'm not quite as passionate about this because I knew that I under because I understand the motive, but the date, like the the post draft litany of, uh, we got the number one player on our board. We never thought oh. he'd still be on the board. <laughs> so good. He's that. We had him ranked number one, everything like that. Like that, those, That's just unbelievable. Um, and man, I wish we got into good in a phone booth because I'm, sh- I'm not sure I still know what that what that means. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the only one I had left was luxury pick, which I always <laughs> love because NFL analysts are always telling me you have to churn the roster every year. But then when we get to the Super Bowl team at number 32, it's kind of a luxury pick. You know, they got everybody back. Very funny. Yeah. All right. I'm going to be like Johnny Carson here, uh, David, when the comedian does such a good job on the tonight show in the old days, let's keep Danny Heifetz over for the strain punt headline. Oh, let's do it. Wow. This is an honor. It's time for David and Danny. Guess the strain punt headline. Monday's headline about the big stars of a Baltimore Orioles win was Oakland can't get past Hayes and means committee. (laughs) Today, we got a really good one. It's from <laughs> Matthew V. It is about a nuclear plant, a nuclear plant. Here we go. Indian Point, north of New York City, will permanently stop producing nuclear power Friday, the AP reports. The closure caps a decades-long battle over a key source of electricity in the heart of New York City's suburbs, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. Okay? A nuclear plant is closing. What was the Associated Press's strained pun
0: headline? Nuclear... in the um Adams uh, split um nucle- man. Residents uh, mad over closure
2: with the MAAD. <laughs> or, like mutually <laughs> um, assured destruction. Oh my god. Wow. Uh,
0: <laughs> that was some high so level stuff. The in- the end of the uh good if to say we, goodbye oh, what do um, we think of a process yeah, that yeah,
1: happens at a nuclear plant
0: um atom splitting right nuclear or is it party or, for yellow cake Your fission? <laughs> fission fission Fis- uh, fission uh, f- come on danny Goes it's something with, with fission.
1: F- fission uh remember it- clear clear fission <laughs> goodbye plant the plant has Fair. the plant Go- has
0: left uh, goodbye to left a, the fission no uh leaving a note uh, then
1: the note on the door might be a closed closed fission uh no uh oh uh, my god oh no vision um um, i've defeated uh, two geniuses here this is incredible (laughs) out of i also know this power plant it's close to where i grew up it's this is really good by the way really good pun you guys ready
0: what gone fission Oh, God. Oh, (laughs) God. vision. That is so good. Oh, my God. That is so good. He is David Shoemaker and he is Danny
1: Heifetz. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes. We are back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you guys then.
0: See you later, Brian.